We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. And we seek blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him. <coughs> so, uh, so let's talk about like, the things that make MSA work miserable. Okay. Uh, one of the things that makes MSA work miserable is that it often feels like work. right? And it feels like work that never ends. And it feels like work that never ends without satisfactory or, you know, without stimulating results. Once in a while you might have an event, an event that everybody puts together and just everything happens so great that you're just full of energy. More often than not, when you have event after event after event after event, it starts creating fatigue, right? And then with fatigue, also resentment grows, right? Sometimes it's resentment against leadership. Sometimes it's resentment against someone else. And... Uh, one way to think about everything that you're experiencing in your MSA work, number one, the actual primary beneficiaries are you guys, okay? uh, because you're the ones who are putting, the, uh, putting in the effort. Okay? And then on top of that, you're also getting training. Okay? And many of you might have already a lot of experience in organizing things, but everything that you're facing in MSA, whether it's Shura or the whole MSA population, all of those things almost exactly you will face in community life after you graduate, right? So people with loose tongues, you're going to have that way more in, in community life, uh, which includes gossip, it includes false accusations, suspicions, everything. You're going to have that in every single community. Because if it happened in the community of the Sahaba, right, because they express, uh, some of the Sahabas express suspicion about Aisha, you can be sure it's going to happen in, in any normal Muslim community, right? And then what else are you getting training on? You're getting trained on the things like the politics of, of getting things done. So that could be internal MSA politics, internal internal Shura politics, or Loyola politics, whatever it is. Uh, anytime you do any work that involves people, somewhere in their politics are going to be involved. Okay, whether it's in academia, corporate life, um, um, legal matters, there's always politics involved. There's no field of life where you can avoid Politics, family matters. Some of you probably experienced, you know, politics in your family matters, where people start getting into arguments about this or that, which might be just a petty issue. And so this way, this is also training for all that. And so what I'm suggesting is that uh, some of you, when you graduate, part of you is going to feel kind of like, okay, relief. I'm finally done with MSA work. But I want you to seriously look at the work you're doing here as training for when you're actually living in communities, which will probably be after you're completely done with school, and maybe in the process of, of developing family and such, that you'll probably get affiliated with some, some masjid, some Islamic center. And you'll have the choice of not being involved at all, which I'm hoping you will not make that choice, uh, as opposed to the choice of being involved. And you also don't have to be involved in your local Islamic center to do Islamic work. You know, a point I have to make very frequently to a lot of people is that there are... Somebody here, the Yvonne? Especially. Okay, so mashallah. So, so <clears throat> the point being that at this moment, we probably have about 100, maybe 120 Islamic organizations in Chicago. And we supposedly have 400,000 Muslims in Chicago. So just do the math. There's plenty of space for way, way, way more if all you want to do is serve the Muslim community. Okay? 
But then on top of that, uh, on top of that, uh, there's how many people in Chicago? Eight million people, including the, the, the vicinity of Chicago. So pretty much anything you want to do, there's nobody who can stop you. If you want to go through an Islamic center, then you're going to have to go through the politics and the, the, the procedures of that Islamic center. But if you want to do your own project, there's nobody to stop you. You're limited by your ambition, right? But I am urging each and every one of you to make it your intention that, all right, once you've finally gotten into professional life, that you do get involved in the community. And a way to think about it in terms of the opposite, all of you growing up in whatever communities you were in, uh, how many people were there uh, my age or younger who took on the role of being big brothers, big sisters in your community? Probably close to zero. Probably just a few people. Okay? Because what happens is that once you get involved in professional life, then that takes up your time. Then you get involved in family life. That takes up your time. Then you're involved in whatever else activities. And so what falls by the wayside is community work. Right? And, and so what you will find yourself thinking, if you haven't already, is, okay, we've got all these problems in our community, all these needs in our community that nobody's addressing. Right? And that's because the older generation decided not to address them. Look at any, any Muslim community you know, for a 1,000-mile radius, and in every case you'll have this tiny amount of people who decide to dedicate themselves to do most of the work. So usually they call it the 80-20 rule, the 20% does 8% of the work. It's, in Muslim communities, it's more like the 2% or the 1% does 95% of the work. And name any community in the Chicagoland area, and I can tell you probably exactly who those people are to, who are doing almost all the work. Because... There's so many other people who are qualified to put in the time don't want to do it. They might give themselves excuses like, I don't have time, right? A few people, like if you're in residency, then you don't have time. If you're in med school, then you don't have time, right? Uh, but if you're in professional life, you always have time, right? Uh, or they might use the excuse that I'm sick of the community, okay? And the way to think about that is the community is whatever it is you want it to be. Because if in Chicago we're talking about 400,000 people, we have every single type of person, every single type of good deed, every single type of sin, we have in the community. So it's whatever it is you want to see is there. So if you want to see the community as a bunch of people who are modest and upright, we've got 100 million of those people. If you want to see the community as a bunch of corrupt, stubborn people, we've got plenty of those people too. So what I see in the community is actually a reflection of what's going on inside of me. So if I see the community as a bunch of nasty people, that's more a statement about me than it is about the community itself. If I see the community as, as a, a number of people that are modest and are trying, that's more of a statement about me than it is about the community. And so think about that even as an exercise. If you were to just imagine the, the personalities in the community, um, think about whatever it is that comes to mind, that's a statement about yourself. Okay? Because we literally have everything. Okay? Every ethnicity, every socioeconomic background, every literacy level, we've got it all, right? And so another way to think about this <laughs> is a simple point that, you know, if you guys don't do the work, who's going to do it, right? It's very easy to fall into the trap of thinking, okay, Muzaffar's here, Muzaffar can do all the work, right? And that's obviously not going to work. I mean, as much as I like to think of myself as Mr. Cool and everything, uh, you know, the amount that I can do is only this small. And I'm getting old and tired and even more lazy. So, like, the amount of work I can do is even, like, that small. You know, I'm not all muscular like you guys, mushroom. Yeah, many of you. Anyway, so the, the, the point being that um, 
you control the destiny of Islam in America. What you do will have a legacy. Why is that funny? No, it's just no pressure, right? Yeah, no pressure, right? So whatever you do has a legacy, and I'm not exaggerating this, in terms of Islam in America for 100 years. Whatever you don't do has a legacy in America for 100 years. Because that's the point we are in terms of Islam in America right now, that now it's getting solidified. And so whatever it is we make of the community right now over the next few decades is going to become very, very permanent. Okay. And so what are some of the forces? You have the Islam of performance, which is what you see when someone goes on a stage with a microphone, and we all race to see them. Um, um, what people do on Facebook, that's performance, right? Um, and then more and more you'll see, you know, in commercials, okay, we've got a hijabi in our commercial, therefore we're diverse, right? Coca-Cola, I think Nike has a new commercial. Yeah. You guys see the commercial? I haven't seen it yet. She's like a boxer, a And she's just wearing a hijab or something? She, her leg went up. <laughs> <laughs> her leg went up, okay, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's your symbol of diversity, right? It's you know. a cartoon It's a cartoon? Okay, in a cartoon? Yeah. 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 And, and think about that. That's basically making hijab a statement of performance. It's not a statement of piety, right? Obedience, modesty, whatever it is you want. It's, uh, it's performance. And then what else is happening related to that? The commodification of Islam. Okay, why is Nike having an ad? Last year, it was, or two years ago, it was Coca-Cola. And that's basically turning um, uh, uh, Islam into a market. Okay? Which is what has already happened to every single community in America. Okay? And on the one hand, you might feel like, oh, we're getting all this attention. Okay. But no, you're being identified as a, as a profitable market. That's what's happening. Okay. And so there's still some benefit to it because it's still a positive portrayal. Okay. So don't get me wrong. There is benefit there. Um, but don't also think it's as amazing as you think it is. Because at the end of the day, what is it that counts in terms of our being? It's the condition of your heart. And the condition of your heart is influenced by your actions whether it's your acts of worship or your character. Okay? That is not part of performance. Okay? Performance is the person that everyone runs to okay? because you think they have special powers just like a celebrity. Okay? And many of you heard me rail about this before, that okay, I know many of these people, and I know what their stories are off the stage, and some of these people are not people you would even allow in your house if you knew some of their conduct. Right? I'll give you one example. <laughs> I won't tell you who this person is, but you, you probably never invite this person anyway. Um, this is narrated to me by the daughter. Uh, she's close to my age of a very prominent speaker. Okay? This is true. She's the one who's telling me this. Okay? That there's some conference. Uh, in fact, I don't think the conference is even in America. And, and this speaker says to her, now she's probably in her upper 30s, maybe mid-30s, um, and so she told me this 10 years ago, so she was in her 20s, and this uh, event happened even years before that. Okay, you ready to hear it? Because you're going you're gonna to gasp. Yeah, maybe I shouldn't tell you. <laughs> okay, so uh, this prominent Muslim speaker says to this daughter of this prominent Muslim speaker, A'udhu billah, a'udhu billah, a'udhu billah, I bet you're wild in bed. Yeah. A'udhu billah, a'udhu billah, a'udhu billah. Yeah, I'm not making this stuff up. That's how corrupt the Islam of performance is. 
And if I start listing off, you know, many of people, I'm not going to give you any names or anything like that, you find yourself thinking, okay, it's all dirty. There are some people who are totally clean, right, as far as I know. I mean, I've never heard any complaints or accusations. And, and so the point is that the person you revere is the prophet, peace be upon him. The people you revere are the Sahaba. The people you revere are the family of the prophet, peace be upon him. May it be pleased with all of them. If your reverence is to someone in this world, giving them status higher than what you should be giving a person, or higher than what you're giving to your own parents, then you're going down the wrong road. Right? And you're going down a road that will probably not lead you out of Islam, but will lead many other people out of Islam. Yeah. I'm saying this having seen it. Right? And really, really think about that, because also over the course of the years, I've watched many people who were upright and full of hope, their faith gets just shattered. Yeah. Because, you know, they put all of their esteem and respect into a certain person who didn't turn out to be human, because I'm at least as human as every one of you, right? Mashallah. But turned out to be doing things very, very uh, inappropriate, right? To put it very, very politely. And so put all these points together. On the one hand, we're talking about service. And on the other hand, we're talking about iman, okay? So what I'm saying is keep focusing on service, but make it driven by your iman. So what does that mean? That, that, that mean? That your service to the community should be driven by your service to Allah, your love for Allah, okay? your love for the Prophet, peace be upon him, because that was his model, and or your love for the creation of Allah. Because I've also, along with this, outside of Islamic uh, um, uh, settings, I've been uh, in the company of many, many activist types. And again, some of you have heard me rail about this. The vast majority of activists you'll meet, including activists on campus, are driven by anger. They're fueled by rage. Okay? This includes the cause of the Palestinians. This includes now the cause of the Syrians. Right? I've seen the transformation happen with, with Syrian students. And this includes you know, what is now Black Lives Matter and other movements. That you find a whole lot of people are driven more by rage. Rage against power, rage against oppression, uh, and such. And rage will do to you exactly what you think it'll do to you. It'll just make you completely wither. It'll eat you alive. Okay. And what else happens in such groups where anger is the fuel Inevitably, people start going after each other. They'll start cannibalizing each other, literally. I mean, by accident, at a local restaurant, I ran into you know, some people, I don't know if they could still go to school here, who are really super hardcore with SJP. And you know, I asked them what's going on with SJP, I don't hear about it anymore. And they said they all left, right? Because they were getting too wounded by other people in the, org in the group, right? And I was like, yeah, that's what's going to happen. And so what you want to be driven by is either the goal of Akhirah, Okay. Or you want to be driven by love upon love upon love. Okay. If you can make it so that you're driven by love for your community, and a way to think about this is that Allah has blessed you with something, whether it's an education or your MSA here or, mashallah, a chaplain. Uh, the point is that uh, uh, this love that you want to help make other people's lives better, love is a well that just keeps giving and giving and giving. Rage is a well that just keeps taking. Okay. So that iman should then lead you to service out of desire to do it, not out of duty. Because if you're doing it out of duty, you're going to break down too. And so the goal is to figure out where can you find in your heart love for the work or love for the people that you're serving. Okay? 
Sometimes it starts by looking at the little kids. Okay? You know, go to a Sunday school and look at the kids who are like in first grade, okay? who are so innocent. Okay? And they have no idea what's going on in the world. The sad part is they all know Trump, right? And that's sad. Okay? Like a conversation I had, you know, over the weekend, some people at an event were asking me about parenting. And the point I had to make to them is everything that you experience, bigotry, hatred, and all the political rhetoric that you hear, your child is also hearing it, and your child is also getting bullying in school too, right? So your child is getting hit harder. But what I'm saying for all of you is, you know, when you get a chance, go visit those little first graders in a Sunday school and look at how innocent they are and look at them as your nieces and nephews, okay? How many of you have nieces and nephews right now? Okay. Kind of-ish, but you have younger cousins that you just go crazy over, right? If they're younger siblings, usually you don't, but if they're like younger cousins, you're like, oh man, I love you so much, I want to hug you, right? Um, but so a way to develop love is to look at how vulnerable they are, okay? And you've now gone through all these years of watching some of your ideals little by little getting you know, picked apart and fear growing in you because of what's going to happen. And you can help resolve some of that as an antidote for some of these first graders just by being a big brother and sister, maybe a big brother and sister that you didn't receive. And that, I'm saying, will help you develop your iman. Okay? And that will also help you develop a love for service. Okay? Yes, that's what we think of when we think of the Prophet, peace upon him. His fuel, on the one hand, was he had an obligation to Allah Ta'ala, and on the other hand, he was so thoroughly full of love for each and every one of us. Like uh, Abdul Nasir Jangada, the metaphor he gives is that just imagine someone who is so, uh, loves you so much and they're so worried about you that they just can't stop pacing. That's how the Prophet is, peace be upon him, about each and every one of us. Every single one of us. Okay. And that is a strength that only a Prophet can have. You know, peace be upon him, peace be upon them all. But that's essentially what I'm saying. You know, try to develop a love for Allah, a love for the Prophet, peace be upon him, to fuel your service, which will then get you close to him. And your MSA time right now is training for all the headache you have to deal with. Okay. It's part of the work, right? You can't escape it. And, and yeah, questions or thoughts? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Especially not a woman, like, yeah. that's so unsolved. Yeah. Like, how do you even... You still do what you want to do. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, my sister is, is the Amida of Anusha's masjid, right? I mean, what is my sister's personality like? I don't know if you get to interact with it much. Ah, Phil. Phil. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay, but I mean, her personality, um, on the one hand, I mean, maybe it's training having a tyrannical older brother that, you know, just made her so strong, right? Because of all, I mean, I did give her a lot of torture. I gave both my sisters a lot of torture that I feel very guilty about, like almost on a daily basis. Um, but um, the point is that it's, uh, you know, I'll put it like this. A lot of times, you know, this Muslim boy and girl come to my office they're like, you know, we love each other. We love each other. We want, we want to be together, right? I don't know why they always have accents, but they always, in my mind they always do, right? 
And, you know, I tell them, all right, keep everything halal, but if your parents don't disown you, it's going to be a battle of wills, right? Either they're going to win or you're going to win, okay? And so in the worst case scenario, I'm saying it's a battle of wills. Uh, who's going to be the more headstrong? And as you get better and better at it, you'll get better at, you know, you know figuring out how to get things done, okay? Because we often go with our mindset, okay, this is Islam, and people should be all upright and gung-ho. I don't know what accent that is. And, <laughs> and you know, they should all be eager to improve the community. Okay, that's not how it works. Okay, so you got to figure out, okay, this per guy's personality is like this. That person's personality is like that. Okay, how do I get what I want done? But still, you don't have to go through the community, okay? depending on the project. Okay? Um, like I said, the space is totally wide open. And, yeah. Eastern Europeans are super headstrong. Okay, you ever deal with Palestinians at the masjid? I mean, you're dealing with Abdullah here. Okay, he's, he's, like, he's like a tiny fraction of, of these guys at the masjid. And then, and then, okay, even worse than the Palestinians are the Desis, right? Yeah, I mean, you got, like, not even just Desis, it's like the Desi uncle who's read just enough Islam to be dangerous. Right? <laughs> that they think they know everything, and like they say these things to you, and you, and you, you know, I just find myself thinking, okay, you just really don't know anything, do you? Right? Um, and that's part, of the, that's part of the community, right? It's figuring out how to negotiate through all that. The Sahaba had to face all that too, with, uh, with, with each other, and then especially with the later generations. And, and so uh, that is, I mean, I'm saying from experience, I totally understand what you're saying. And once in a while, or sometimes, you're, or, and I'll put it like this, often you're choosing your battles, right? But it can be done. Because you know, the, you, once you figure out the personality of the people you want to deal with, don't look at them according to how they should be, because then you're going to get frustrated. Looking at how, okay, this is what Muzaffar's personality is like, this is what Ansari's personality is like, this is what Zia's personality is like, I don't want to be using last names. Badir, right? And so, all right, if I want to work on a project, this is how I got to talk to Ansari, this is how I got to talk to Muzaffar, and so forth and so on. That's not devious. That is actual, the process of getting things done. Any other questions? So a lot of what I'm talking about is just being pragmatic. But yeah, many people from my age group has already decided that the elders, you know, are, they don't want to work with. And, okay, I'll even put it like this. My first job graduating from, from college, I was the first full-time employee of the Council of Islamic Organizations. And some of my friends who used to work downtown, we'd meet for lunch, and I'd just tell them, I just wish all these people would die, right? Like, that's just because it was so hard to deal with them. I just wish they would die, right? And what's funny is that, number one, all those people who were in leadership back then, 20 years ago, are still the people in leadership right now, right? And then what's also funny is when I look at the behavior of my generation, we are just as much the aunties and uncles as the people they criticize. And I just love that, because I like calling it out on all of them, right? I mean, you think, you, I mean, I mean, I'm sorry thinks I give him a lot of grief. You should see how I am in the community with community leaders. Oh, man. So maybe I enjoy the work a little bit too much, but yeah. Any other questions or thoughts? Yeah, I have one. So yes. Yeah. Frustration. Obviously, like the work still needs to be done, mm -hmm. and you have to keep going. Mm -hmm. um, how do you 
basically do that while at the same time like communicating collectively where issues are present. Okay. It's just like I feel like there, you always have to like it's a balancing act, but sometimes for like for the sake of just you know like giving people benefit of the doubt yeah. or just letting things slide and mm -hmm. being like well I got through it so the next thing will be fine. Mm -hmm. I feel like if things go unaddressed sometimes mm -hmm. or we're not having like Yeah. yeah. Okay, so, so uh, I'm going to rephrase your question a few different ways because you have a couple yeah. questions built in there. Uh, one is, you know, when there's work that needs to be done and you're exhausted. Okay. One thing to keep in mind is none of the work you do is going to change the world. Right? That is up to Allah. Okay. So it may be that you do this one piece of work that Allah tells just makes it have a ripple of effect. Meaning you're not in control of the consequences. Um, you can influence them, inshallah, but Allah doesn't control the consequences. Which means that if you step out, it's not like the whole world is going to suffer. Because even when I was saying the work that you guys do, you're the primary beneficiaries. And that is how it is with community work uh, as well. So when I'm, you know, when I'm doing whatever service to each and every one of you, um, I'm actually the primary beneficiary. You know, whatever appreciation you might have for me or disgust, but uh, I'm literally the primary beneficiary. I mean, day after day, I'm listening to, to, to your stories, your questions and concerns, and then that gives me things to reflect upon and such about my own self and my own dean and everything. And literally, I'm saying that not as an exaggeration, not as some, like, pie statement. And that's how you have to look at your community work, okay? That Allah Ta'ala has opened a door for you to get closer to him through this pathway. But there's ways to then, you know, to mitigate the suffering so you don't ruin yourself. One is uh, figure out how many hours you're going to dedicate on a regular basis. Okay? Because there is so much work to do. Every single one of us could give 1,000 hours a day, and it'll feel like nothing in the world has changed. So you figure out, okay, on a weekly basis, I'm going to give X number of hours. So let's say it's three hours. Let's say it's 25 hours. That's what you hold yourself to, okay? Because you could literally work forever, but give yourself an amount. And then one of my goals, I forgot when I made this goal. Uh, it was probably like 1997, 1998. Were any of you born at the time? Yes, all of us were born. Mashallah, okay. You were born too? When were you born? 98. 98, okay, right. So you're still like, yeah. So somewhere around there, I made a promise to myself that each year I have to... Uh, have done more, either in quantity or quality, than the previous year. I, I think I've succeeded, right? But it doesn't mean like you know, okay, this year I've done, you know, ten units of work, and the next year I'm going to do three thousand. No, it means this year I did ten units of work, and the next year I do eleven. Okay, and so you can make that part of your also your outlook that this particular year, like I've just started in professional life and everything, I'm going to give one hour a week. Okay, that's still not insignificant. Shall you be rewarded for it? And then the following year, maybe I'll increase it to an hour and a half or two hours or something. But the point is that what that will allow you to do is to keep a sense of balance and, and control over it. Because if we were to talk about just one issue of life, uh, whether it's family dysfunction, people suffering from loss of faith, you know, all these people with, you know, um, you know boyfriend, girlfriend, right, you know, uh, drugs, alcohol in the community, other crime in the community, uh, Again, all of us could put in full time on any one of those issues, and you feel like nothing's getting accomplished because the, the, the work is so big, right? Uh, 
There's another qu other questions in there that I forgot what, what you were asking, but that might have satisfied it. Any other questions? Another way to do it is, this is how you guys pay me back. You pay it forward. Ta-da! And then suddenly, yeah, none of you will ever come back to me again because I don't want to, oh, yeah. you raising your hand? Yes, Abdul Qadir. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to put it on the recording, but yeah. There are many people in the world named Abdul Qadir. Yeah. Jilani. <laughs> Mashallah. Mashallah. But essentially, um, you're talking about a lot about, like, you know, how do we deal with service and service in terms of community. Um, but can you talk about a little bit about how we develop that, like, um, self-development and having that, like, in our, like, how do we properly self-develop ourselves while mm. trying to help the community? And in this instance, we're like, okay, I'm like, I'm not, I'm barely, barely close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and then, like, people like me, like, oh, like, you know, asking stuff. Uh -huh. Yeah, so, so like, you know, how do we do self-development? Yeah, so that is something also to work on. And for that, it's probably best to find a teacher uh, who can guide you, a teacher that you'd actually listen to, right? So I have many, many, many students who come to me and say, you know, guide me, <laughs> right? And I'll give them an assignment, and, you know, they'll come back to me a month later, guide me. I'll give them the same assignment. I, I, I've, I might have told you about this one guy yeah. who, yeah, have you guys heard the story? Some of you have, okay. So there's one person who would come to me, who would call me up literally every month. You know, here's what's going on in my life. You know, to get, tell me what I need to do. So I'd give him a suggestion. And literally a month later, he'd call me up, same questions. I'd give him the same advice, right? And he'd sound like it's the most profound thing he's ever heard every single time for a year. So this went on for a year. And then he'd call me up again. And I'd say, man, I've been saying the same thing to you for a year. Like, I mean, what's going to change? And then he realizes, oh, man, i got to listen to what you're saying. And that happened every month for the next year. So every month for the next year, it's me saying, you've already heard this from me. Oh, yeah, I really got to embody it. I really got to practice this, right? I saw your hair again, Marshall. Okay, so then, um, <laughs> I think it's even more funny because he starts seeing the therapist. And then after, like, a couple years, the therapist uh, tells him, I can't, I can't help you anymore. He goes, Why? Because I've been talking to you for like two years, and you don't do anything. Everything I'm suggesting you do, you don't do. And then he starts laughing, because that's what Brother Omar says, <laughs> right? So what I'm saying is find a teacher and develop a relationship with the teacher. None of the teachers you find, going back to when we were talking about celebrities, is going to be, you know, this person with rays coming out of their head or anything, right? I mean, even recently, I was involved very recently uh, regarding another prominent figure, not in America, though. Who, about whom people used to talk exactly like that. Like, this is the guy who has the answers for everything. And then he confessed to doing all these very, very horrendous things, right? Um, and so the point is, you find a teacher who can guide you, which might just be somebody older, right? And it's no problem dropping a teacher for someone else, and it's no problem pushing back. Um, any teacher who doesn't like that is probably not a teacher qualified, right? Because uh, even then, the teacher is the one who's learning from the student. But that would require dedication um, to listen to what the teacher's saying. Yeah. That's how you do your self-development. Yeah. And the same thing you guys hear from me in khutbah after khutbah after khutbah. You want to be able to say a year from now, when you look back at this person today, that, okay, I've improved on this and I've improved on this, even if it's just a little. Any other questions about anything at all? Nothing. Yes, sir. Um, it's like totally random, but um, yeah. so 
a while back when I was like taking classes for uh, like Islamic class or whatever. Um, my teacher talked about how uh, it, this is it's just totally random, but like how like like making uh, like jama outside of the like the masjid salah time is kind of like desanctifying the actual like salah or the congregation. Um, so this is weird, but like um, like in our own salah, we have like. 30 different jamaat that go on with the qalman and then sometimes yeah. adhan and stuff like that. Um, is it like something like of concern? Because if we try to establish like one slot and then maybe everybody tries to come at that one time, mm-hmm. but obviously not, not necessarily possible. Mm-hmm. But it's still like, like you're in the musala, you just create uh, like a, a jamaat with like, yeah. know, but then like two minutes later, another yeah. group. And, and sometimes you're going at the same time, you know, um, that's also taking place in the musala. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, yeah. Because well, like, I've been guilty of that, but yeah. yeah, yeah so, so is, is that like something that, because it does, you can, I mean, people who are there just like, you can feel like how it kind of like takes away from like the, the, the jama'ah. Mm-hmm. Is that something that So, mo- most of what I know is through the Hanafi lens, right? Abu Hanifi. So, so it's, um, it's that uh, uh, if there's an announced prayer times, okay? So let's say Fajr is at 5.45. Anybody testing me? Okay, so let's say Fajr is announced at 5.45, then technically that's the only time you can pray in Jama'ah. Okay, so someone comes in, let's say 6 o'clock, and you still have 10 minutes. Uh, technically, you can't have a Jama'ah. Okay, um, that's if there are announced prayer times. Okay, if there are not announced prayer times, then you have what you experience, right? And I think it's uh, because most, almost everyone doesn't know that rule. I mean, I said let it go, right? Um, that, uh, yeah, you're going to have people praying at all the different times, praying in Jamath and everything, and, and you know, accept it, right? So I think the Musallah should not, our Musallah should not have fixed prayer times, announced prayer times, right? Jamath has to be, right? But the other times, I don't think it's a good idea, right? Um, so it's like, I mean, you look at everything according to the level that, that people are at, and then you try to make the best of that situation, yeah. uh, compromising the least you can, you know, giving as much space as you can without getting into uh, makru, and if you're in makru, without getting to haram, right? Have I told you that one story about like the the wudu people? Okay, this is uh, this is narrated to me by a student who got it from his teacher. Um, that this guy, this sheikh, uh, is traveling and he comes to this village, and he discovers that. Nobody in this village prays, right? They have a masjid and everything, but nobody prays, right? And, and so he starts talking to them, and he asks, like, why don't you pray? And then after they get comfortable, they say, it's just too hard for us to do wudu, right? Maybe many of you can identify with this, especially when you get into corporate life, you'll really appreciate this, um, especially cleaning your feet. But, um, uh, Wait, can I interject for a sec? Yeah. I was just talking to the sisters. I was thinking, like, just yesterday, that I think the hardest part about being a Muslim is not just, like, oh, what all the other things that we think about, like, like pray by comforter, this or that. It's, like, trying to do wudu in a public bathroom, wa- yeah. like, trying to wash your feet while no one walks in. Oh, yeah, totally. That's literally the hardest thing. I, I, I was in corporate life for many years, right? Like, when I, when I shifted from corporate life to academic life, I just felt so free. I was like, I don't care if somebody walks in. I'm going to put two feet in the sink, right? You know, <laughs> right? You know. <laughs> You know, because it's like a university, you can do anything there, right? I'm just going to pray anywhere, right? 
And, and all the young MSA students were like, wow, he's so brave, Marshall. That's because I got so sick of hiding in a conference room and just looking around. You know, I used to take like a cup of water, hide in the toilet stall, and like, you know, wash my feet and everything. You guys are all going to have to deal with this, right? Yeah. So, so this, this guy, Sheikh, comes to this town. Uh, we, can, we can have that conversation, sir. So, so, um, so then the, uh, uh, so they say, Wudu is too hard for us. So he says, uh, what if I give you a fatwa that says you don't have to do Wudu? And then the guy said, what, can you do that? You can't do that. Okay. And he says, okay, you're not praying anyway, so, so what if I just give you a fatwa? They're like, okay. So, you know, he writes this whole fatwa in Arabic and everything and um, gives it to them. He says, all right, if anyone gives you a hard time about it, just show them the fatwa. Okay. And so, so then they all start praying. Everybody in, in the town is praying now, all of them. Okay. And the sheikh leaves, goes on to his next destination. And then years later, another sheikh comes into town, and he's just astounded. I've never seen a masjid where everybody prays, right? Everybody's praying here. And he's so impressed. And then he notices one day, wait a second, nobody's doing wudu. What? Are you guys doing wudu at home? No. And then, so he's asking him, how on earth are you praying without wudu? Right? Wazu. I just felt like saying wazu. Anyway, so, so he said, we got a fatwa. He said, what kind of sheikh? would give you a fatwa saying you don't have to do wudu. Wudu is fard, right? And so they're like, here's a fatwa. Okay. And none of those people read Arabic, right? And so the guy reads this, he's like, let me see this fatwa. And it actually said to the next, next sheikh, I got them up to this point. Now you got to get them up to the next point. No. Boom, <laughs> right? And so what's the lesson? The lesson there is that you figure out the condition of the person or the people, and then you figure out how to get them as high as they can get, right? And so in terms of the condition of the MSA and the community in general, um, yeah, it's let people do their jamas, because at least they're doing that, right? Same teacher who told the student, his teacher from overseas came and he's traveling around with him, and he's looking at American life. And he said, American life is so fast-paced that if you have someone uh, who prays five times a day in America, you should consider them to be a wali of Allah. It's that hard, right? Abdullah's like, oh, what are you talking about? It's a piece of cake. Wait till all of you are in professional life. Just wait. <laughs> and then you're going to come back and think, wow, Muzaffar must be amazing. How is he doing all this? No, but yeah, that's the point, right? That's how it is with, with uh, a student, uh, an individual person. That's how it is with the community, right? Um, there's a lot of things that the community should do, but they're not for various reasons. A lot of it is external reasons that have now become part of them. And so your goal is to try to figure out how to elevate them. Yeah. Any other questions about anything? Okay. So meetings. All right. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta Nasafirkana to be like,